Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Today we are in a series called Commissions. And uh, if you're here last week, uh, Pastor Jono gave a great word on go. Uh, and today I'm talking about making disciples. And so this whole, this whole series is based around a passage known as the Great Commission. And we'll, we'll put it on the, uh, on the screen behind me. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It's from Matthew 28. I'm actually going to go back just a couple of verses. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Let's read it together. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing passage. We pray that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So the phrase, the Great Commission, um, has, historically has actually not been around all that long. It's actually relatively, I say relatively, new. It was actually made up by a, a guy called Baron Justinian von Welts, a 17th century Lutheran nobleman. So there you go. Fun fact for the day. But what that means is that for the first kind of 1,600 years of the, the church, the passage wasn't really known as the Great Commission, and it was actually more thought of in theological terms, because there's actually surprisingly few passages in the Bible that talk about the Trinity, the triune part of the nature of God, or the divinity of Jesus, the fact that He is God. But this passage right here does both, right next to each other. It states really clearly that God is three in one, it says Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it underlines the divinity of Jesus, and that Jesus says, all authority has been given me on heaven and earth. So in that respect, it's actually a really powerful uh, theological statement for the church to, to hang on to. And that's kind of what the church viewed it as for a long time. And this, this is actually a really important starting point for us when we think about being commissioned. Because before we go and make disciples and, and baptize and teach like we're going to be talking about, we need to realize where we're coming from. Or who is commissioning us? Who is sending us? See, God's mission to the world begins in Him. It begins in who He is. And He is, he is a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it begins in the nature of who Jesus is, the authority that He has and that He carries and that He gives to us. So we go with the authority of God the Father given to Jesus the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our starting point. And so it gives it real depth. This whole passage gives it real depth, this, this idea that it's actually God of the whole universe in his triune form through his son Jesus telling us to go into all the world. Uh, and, and it makes sense because actually God in his very nature is all about commission. We heard last week about, and you're here in your e-groups, that, you know, here long to e-groups, you're doing a series on this. And you'll hear about how actually God was busy commissioning Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament. And he's just commissioning people. But actually, the, 
Right from the beginning, God was about commissioning. The mission of the Father was the sending of the Son. The mission of the Son and in, in His incarnation in the world was to reveal the life of the Father. And the Spirit's mission is to be a witness through His church to the world around Him of Jesus and His divinity. So, so yeah, just from the outset, I want you to realize there's real depth to what we are doing. It's not just like, oh, just go and do some stuff. No, actually, you're going with the whole weight of heaven. Um, so last week, Pastor Jono uh, talked about going, and uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a great message, and he talked about um, how we are uh, commissioned or sent by God, and that, um, but actually, going isn't the key part of this whole passage. In fact, the key verb is not go. It actually reads, and, and John talked about this last week, if you read in the original Greek, it actually kind of reads, as you go. As you go, and the key verb is also not baptize, the key verb is not teach, the key verb in this whole passage is make disciples. That's the hinge on this whole passage, is we are to make disciples. So thank you, John. I got the most important part of this whole thing, so I hope I don't stuff it up. Uh, so you you got to get it in your heart, and, I'm, and that's my prayer this morning, is that you learn or that you realize, actually, my role in this world is to go and to make disciples. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I've got to make disciples. Just tell them, I've got to make disciples. You've got to make disciples. So what does that, what does that mean? Well, hopefully we'll unpack that a little bit today. But I want, to be, I want to give you some real basic steps to making disciples. So if you've got a pen and paper or your electronic device, you can write this down. Number one, to make disciples, first you have to be a disciple. That makes sense, doesn't it? It, begin, it begins with Jesus. It, it begins with us being with him. You can't actually skip this step. Otherwise, you'll be making disciples, but they'll be your disciples. Disciples of Bob or Jenny or um, whoever. And as wonderful as Bob and Jenny are, they're not Jesus. And so we need to, we need to actually be with Jesus first. Through prayer, through listening to him, through walking with him, through worshiping him. Because in that way, we become like him. And that's what being a disciple is all about. You're actually becoming like the person you're following. You're, you're being an apprentice to them. We've got to remember that Jesus was a, was a rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi. And in Jewish culture, when you became a disciple, a follower of a rabbi, it was hard out. Like you did everything with them. It wasn't just like today, some, some guy standing on a stage, you listen to him for half an hour and then you go away. No, you were with your rabbi all the time. Like you would, you would go to sleep in the same place as them. You would get up in the morning and you'd be like, huh, Jesus is having porridge. I'm having porridge. Jesus is having bacon and eggs. Bacon? Really, Jesus? Oh, oh well, I'm having bacon and eggs. Jesus, ah, oh, Jesus is fasting. Uh, I'm fasting. Like you just, you just did what they did, and you followed them around, and you listened to their teaching, and you you acted like you didn't kind of like mock them. You but you tried to do everything that that they did, because you're trying to become like them. So Jesus, when he's doing this commissioning thing, he's talking to the eleven disciples who were with him. 
for three years. There were 12. We won't talk about the 12th one. Things didn't go so well for him. But there were 11 who were with him for three years. And so they knew how Jesus worked. They knew everything about what he did. And so when he says, go and make disciples, that for them, that's a full-on idea. But he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's hardly practical, Jesus. Not everybody's going to be, you know, sleeping in our house and following what I eat for breakfast. Like, obviously, he's talking to 11, but he's actually, he's talking to all of us for all of time. And he's, when he's saying, go and make, like, it just, there's a width to his mandate that covers the whole earth. But there is also this point that it's, it's a full-on process. It would be kind of like one of us wandering around the South Island for three years with 11 people and then saying to them, go to the world and make everybody follow me. That's a bit weird, right? But that's what, remember, they're just in Israel and Judea and then they have to go to the whole world. It's a, it's a crazy concept. And you think, well, how do, how do you do that? How do you practically make disciples of the whole world? Well, you do it the same way that Jesus did it with his disciples. You, you allow other people into your life. You allow other people to see up front and, and personal how you live, how you follow Jesus yourself. And as you follow Jesus, then you will essentially be making other people disciples who also follow Jesus, just in the way that you, you follow him. And so it, it, it seems like a, a really simple concept, but it actually is. The first step to, to making disciples is just to be a disciple, to follow him and allow other people to see you following him. So that's my first step. My second point is that you don't have to be a perfect disciple to make disciples, which is a, yeah, phew, uh, because you don't even have to be a good disciple. Like, that's not, that's not the emphasis of what Jesus is saying. His point is that he, remember, he has been given all authority in heaven and earth, and he is sending you. So actually, you go with his authority. You go with him in you. And so it's not about how good a disciple you are. It's actually about him and what he's do, done. So stop thinking that you have to have it all together to make disciples, because you don't. And you, have, you won't. You never will. Can I just be really upfront at the moment and just say, most of the time I'm a pretty lousy Christian. You can ask my wife. No, no who said no in a sarcastic term? <laughs> sarcastic way. That's, that's, that's really encouraging. Um, I was just being open and honest here, and now I'm going to get thrown back in my face. But it's true. Uh, it is true. I get annoyed with my kids. I get angry. I do things I regret. I'm selfish. I'm far from a great Christian, often. But my faith isn't contingent on how good I am. My faith is con contingent on how good he is, on how graceful he is. And so actually it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, you want to be setting an example. So it does matter how closely you're following him. But, but essentially... you. You don't have to have it all together, because you never will. I, I want to show you something really encouraging. 
If, if you turn, if you look at, we, we, we read the whole passage there, but if you look at verse 17, look at how imperfect Jesus' disciples are. When they saw him, it says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. To me, that's really encouraging. Because some of the 11, the 11 who've been with them for three years have seen him raise the dead and do crazy miracles. His inner circle, some of them, doubted. It says some of them, not just one, not just doubting Thomas we know about, but some. He doesn't give a number. I'm hoping it's not 10. But some of them doubted. My, oh my, that just, that blows my mind. Like, if some of you here are, are sitting here and go, man, I've got doubts about this Christianity thing. Guess what? You can still make disciples. And it's okay. I, I have doubts at times. I have, you know, I go through my own stuff, but it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not qualified to follow Jesus and make disciples. In fact, I am, and, and often in my, in my doubts, I, 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 I become kind of like Peter, and I, and I end up going, but Jesus, where else would I go? Like, who else, to who else would I turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. You don't have to be a perfect disciple to make disciples. All of us are qualified to make disciples. If you wait until you are perfect, you will just be waiting your whole life. <laughs> So there's no more excuses. If you've been a Christian a single day, you are qualified to make disciples. Not even a single day. Actually, just one second. There you go. <laughs> so there you go. Number three, the key in making disciples is disciple where you are. Disciple where you are. In days gone by, this passage was kind of taken as, a, as the great commission to a rallying cry to encourage people to go to the far-flung corners of the earth and, and, and be a missionary in, in deep, darkest Africa or in South America or China or somewhere. And, and for some people, that is their calling, and that is awesome. But for 99% of us, that's not our reality. And while cross-cultural mission has its place, I think in, in the global world we find ourselves now, actually being a disciple of in the culture that you are in is actually more effective and more powerful and it doesn't come with that whole you know, uh, baggage that, that can come um, with cross-cultural mission. So, and, and going back to that, what I said earlier about what this passage actually says about going, in the Greek, the word for go is, this is going to be really bad, sorry, Greek scholars, poyuomai, poyuomai, there you go. Go, go listen to it on your computer and see if I've made a hash of it. It means to continue on one's journey. To continue on one's journey. So it really means as you are going along your way, make disciples. As you are going about your daily business, be making disciples. So to answer, you know, where do we make disciples? Well, yes, <laughs> wherever you are. You make disciples in your family, in your workplace, at school, in your sports team, with your friends, with your colleagues, everywhere, wherever you are called to make disciples. So disciple where you are. Now, the way we make disciples, that's quite important because it can seem like quite a forceful statement. 
You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples. That idea of making someone do something. For those of you who have children, who have fed small children, you will know that you can't really make someone eat something if they don't want to, right? I get an amen from the parents here. You can put the food on the spoon. You can fly it in. You can drive it on a bumpy road. You can do whatever you like. Oh, it's the little person's got to go in the cave. I don't know how you do it in your house. We've tried all these techniques. But if they don't want to eat it, how many of you know? It's not going in. Or it's going in and it's coming straight back out. It's not going down, right? It's not doing the things it's supposed to be doing. So Jesus doesn't want you to go and make disciples like you're force-feeding a three-year-old Brussels sprouts. Don't do that. Either of those things, actually. But it just doesn't work. Maybe some of you have tried the bribing them with dessert technique. You know, if you eat your Brussels sprouts, you'll get some ice cream. Maybe you've tried that. You won't go to heaven unless you eat Jesus. Well, when we take communion, we essentially are swallowing. Yeah, you get, you get what I'm saying. Maybe you've tried that technique. Again, not a great technique. Ultimately, we don't make anyone do anything, right? Jesus does the making. Remember at the outset of this passage, I said that the key is that Jesus, the revealed Son of God, with the authority of the Father, He is the one who draws all people to himself. He is the one who does the making. So we just be disciples ourselves. We follow him. We love him. And in doing so, we love others. We share about what Jesus has done in our world and in our lives and, and, and what he can do in theirs. But the making, actually, that's, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He does his work in their hearts. So if you want to stick with my slightly flawed analogy, you saute up some garlic and some butter, and you fry those delicious Brussels sprouts, and you get them just right, and when you trust that Jesus in the background by the Holy Spirit is stirring a hunger in them, that when it comes to them, they're like, oh, mom, 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 yum, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Excellent. So, we disciple wherever we are with whoever is in our world. My fourth point is that you disciple where they are. So what I mean by that is stop thinking that some to disciple someone you have to have them in a certain place in a certain you know stage of their journey towards uh, towards God. Often we think in Christian circles our oh, discipleship is that thing that you do after someone's become a Christian. No. Discipleship is anyone, anytime, anywhere, okay? The whole idea is essentially you're just bringing them a step closer towards Jesus. You're bringing them closer to God. So we can actually make disciples of people who are far, far from God. It's just that they're a little bit further along the journey, or further away, I guess, from God than, than others, so a good question to ask in this whole idea is, what is this person's next step towards Jesus? Wherever they are at, how, how do I nudge them a little bit in the right direction? 
Seldom will it be that you will just do the whole thing in one go and you just lead them to Jesus and then they're just along that journey all, excuse me, all at once. Like that's, that does happen, but usually it's a process. It's a journey for them and hopefully you're in that journey with them. I remember as a 17-year-old, um, I, I got saved and I was fired up and I remember leading my 12-year-old sister one night in a prayer um, leading her to, to, to Jesus. And it was a significant moment for her in her journey. And that was, that was so special. And I'll always hold that as a, as a memory that is, is awesome. But that doesn't happen all that often in our lives. Probably a better idea is that the way I think about it is actually she saw my journey as a teenager she lived with me up close for, well, 12 years because she's my sister. Uh, and then she saw me come to know Jesus myself and she saw the change that it made in my life. And then when oh, given the opportunity, she, she decided to make that decision herself. And then from that point, I got to keep discipling her and keep encouraging her in her faith and gave her a Bible and, and, and you know, encouraged her in her journey. That whole process is discipling. It's not just that one moment where I got to sit on the side of her bed and pray with her, as special as that moment was. It's that whole journey. And we've got to think, we've got to think about discipling in terms of the journey, the long term. So who in, who in your life at the moment can you influence towards Jesus? I mean, actually, there's probably a lot but actually, there will be one or two that are that actually really you're called to right now in this season. And we'll get to that at the end because we'll, be we'll pray for them. But I, I just want you to realize that for some, for some of you, for most of you actually, you'll have a few key people that you disciple in your life. There's, there's kind of like long-term discipleship and, and short-term discipleship. Like for me, I have four daughters. They are four key people that I am called to disciple. And <laughs> now they're looking at me awkwardly, two of them. Um, don't embarrass us, Dad. Sorry, I've just done that. But they are, they are watching my life up close, which is a bit scary, because they see the ugly, they see the mad, they see the sad, they see the bad. But hopefully they also see me modeling some grace and some encouragement and some forgiveness and some service and they see me just being a disciple of Jesus that is the long-term discipleship that we do and I can encourage you if you're a parent that's such an important role but not all of us will be parents but there are often key people in our world that we disciple up close over a long period of time but there's also going to be short-term discipleship that happens. That person that you just work with for a couple of weeks. The shop owner you see on a semi-regular basis, but you've built a rapport with. That random stranger that you actually only help out once, and you may never see again. You actually disciple them where you show God's love and, and inaction in their world. That is, that is discipleship. Can I say at this point, actually, Actually, we, we disciple one another. Sometimes we think of discipleship as kind of like a, 
hierarchy. And it's easy to get that from, from you know, Jesus as the rabbi with his followers. You think, oh, well, we all follow someone. Well, we're all following Jesus alongside one another. So we're actually all even. It's not like Jono's the key disciple um, in our church, and we all emulate his quite frankly bizarre bedtime routines of <laughs> taping his mouth shut and having cold showers. Just go and listen to last week's sermon to get that stuff. But he, I, <laughs> sorry, I've thrown him under the bus, but he said these things, not me, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, so, and he does have a role as a pastor, and, and, and we give a degree of honor and, and um, respect in that. But actually, we're all disciples alongside one another. Um, and, and so actually it goes in all directions. Jono disciples me, but I disciple Jono. And I disciple you, and you disciple me. That's, that's how it works. My, my next analogy, I just want to give a, 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 a trigger warning. This is my obligatory cycling analogy. Uh, it comes in every sermon. So for those of you who hate cyclists, what? But um, why would you? They're awesome. But I like to think of... Um, I like to think of, of discipleship in cycling terms. Um, so if you think, okay, I'm going to give you some background. Sorry. Uh, so th- this, is, this is, I love this stuff. My wife is like, oh, gosh. Uh, so when you ride a bike, the biggest thing that slows you down is ear resistance. So it's not the ground, it's not the stuff, you know, the chain in your bike, it's, it's actually ear resistance. So when you ride behind someone, you actually do 30% less work than if you're riding by yourself. So that, that's why like a big group, a big peloton can go way faster than a single rider. If you think of discipleship in, in these terms, discipleship is kind of like getting in the slipstream of one another. So so when I first started road cycling, I'd go on a bunch ride with a bunch of guys, and there'd often be two guys who would just sit on the front and, and tow everyone else along. Not physically tow with a rope, but just sit on the front and do all the work, and we'd just get a cruisy ride behind them. And that's, that's okay for a while. And I think actually discipleship often begins like that. Like you just get into the slipstream of other disciples who are a little, little bit further along the journey than you, and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to do what they do. I'm just going to follow them. And, and that's really helpful. And you learn a lot of stuff about your faith in that place. But you can't stay there forever. Like eventually, if you only ever follow other people's wheels, if you only ever get a draft off them, a couple of things are going to happen. The, the people on the front who are doing all the work are going to get tired because they're doing the work, all the work all the time. And the overall speed is going to decrease. And you're going to get a reputation as a bit of a wheel sucker. And no one's going to like you. Uh, and, and while that won't happen in the church, uh, you'll never actually achieve what God's called you to do. Because, okay, if we think of it in terms of a race, to, to win the race, you have to cross the line first. So at some point, you have to get out of the wind and get past the other people. Uh, you have to go, and I know the analogy falls down, but you have to do some work yourself. And, but that's actually, I reckon, the most efficient way for us to, to work. That's why e-groups are so cool, because actually as a, as a cyclist, the most efficient way to ride is in a bunch with, say, seven or eight people, and you've got two lines, one line slowly moving forward, one line slowly moving back, and you just roll around. So you're just doing a little bit of work on the front, and then you just rock back, and someone comes up, and I don't know. 
and you just and so you're you're always either sliding back or going forward, but you're only ever on the front for a little bit of time. That's how I reckon e groups are are a beautiful way of discipling one another. Because in different seasons of our lives, we are on the front, leading other people, helping them out, being strong for them, taking taking the weight, taking the strain. But in other times, they're doing that for us. We're struggling a bit. We're just hanging on. But they're sitting in front. They're pulling us along. They're doing the hard yards for us. That's actually how we disciple one another. We love one another. We, we, we serve one another in that way. Okay, cycling analogy over. It was a good one, though. Come on, you've got to give me that. <laughs> there you go. When, when the cycling analogies get really distant and far off, then you know that, um, yeah, I need to stop them. That time is not yet today, though. So the Bible puts it like this. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What I love about this image is that what happens when you rub iron together? Sparks fly. Like there's actually some healthy friction happening in your relationships. Can I even say disagreement? That's healthy. And in fact, I would challenge that if you're not having some robust discussion in your e-groups where you're disagreeing with one another, are you even discipling one another? Is iron even sharpening iron? Or are you just kind of sitting around agreeing with each other or patting each other on the back and it's just like a big echo chamber? No, actually, for the health of you and those people around you, you, you need to have some discussions because people need to call you up on stuff sometimes. And you need to call other people up on sometimes things sometimes. And actually, you know, you see this in society at large. You need to learn how to disagree with someone amicably, like to agree to disagree, to maintain relationship while holding a different view. Because the world has been rapidly losing this ability lately, right? It's becoming very polarized. So actually in that e-group, you've got a safe space where you can go, hang on, I don't get that. Why did Jesus say that? Now, hang on, I see Christians acting like this. Well, hang on, you're doing this. This doesn't line up. Disagreeing with people in a healthy, respectful way is actually discipling them. So there you go. That was a long point. Gosh. You disciple where people are. And you disciple alongside one another. I want to invite the band up at this point. And I've just got one more, one more, one more idea. As you make disciples, you are becoming a better disciple. As you make disciples, you are becoming a better disciple. Iron sharpens iron. So as you become more like Jesus and you help others become more like Jesus, then you are becoming more like Jesus and you're helping others to become more like Jesus. And it just, it goes on and on. And, and can I say, if you feel like you've hit a plateau in your relationship with God, you feel like, man, I've read the Bible a couple times. I know my stuff. I've made it. I'm a Christian. Where else is there to go? then the next step for you to grow is to input into others, is to actually disciple some people around you. See, as you serve and love and encourage and essentially make disciples, you become a better disciple yourself. It's that topsy-turvy way the kingdom of God works. 
Jesus says, is more blessed to give than to receive. It's actually more blessed to disciple than to be discipled. As you, as you disciple others, you yourselves find that, actually, man, I'm growing in this process. And that's ultimately here on earth. What we're supposed to do is be disciples, be followers of Jesus and the way we live our lives. So as we draw to a close, I want to ask that question of you. What, what, or who rather, am I discipling? Have I ruled out this whole idea of going and making disciples because I just thought, no, it's something that people do overseas. Missionaries do the disciple making. I'm just, I'm just here to live my life. I don't, I don't make disciples. No, you, we are all called to make disciples wherever we are at. Can I ask you to actually stand with me? And we're going we're gonna to take a moment in God's presence to ask Him for ourselves, who are the people? I just want you to get one or two names. Like, as I said, there's different levels of how we disciple. I expect in your daily life, you're going to just do amazing acts of kindness and love, and you're going to disciple people in a little way. But there will be one or two people in your life that actually right now, you are the key person who can disciple them, who can draw them towards God's love. And so we're going to take a moment just to ask God. Possibly you know who that is already. It's just come straight to you. But I want, if not, we're going to ask God for that name or a couple names. And then we're going to ask Him for a step this week. What is something practical that I can do to draw that person a little bit closer to God? Maybe it's give them a phone call. Maybe it's invite them out for coffee. Maybe it's serve them in some way. Maybe it's to share your story, your testimony of what God has done. Maybe it's to share the gospel. I don't know what that step is for you, but I'm trusting that God does and He wants to tell you in this moment. So let's just pray and ask Him. Father, we thank You for this idea of going and making disciples. We thank You that You've given us a mission. You've given us this great commission and we are, we are grateful for it because in doing this and following Your call, we get to see people's lives changed. You've changed our lives and we're so grateful. We want to see you change others. And so in this moment, Lord, I pray that you would, you would show us who that personal persons are that you're calling us to right now. Give us a name. And now, Lord, drop into our heart what it is you want us to do. Give us a God idea, not a, not a good idea that we make up, but give us something from you, Lord, that's going to just unlock something in their hearts. It's going to draw them that, just that step closer towards you, towards knowing you and walking with you or walking more closely with you. Just drop that in their spirits now, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I trust God has spoken to you in this moment. And I'm going to hand it back to Penny, but let's let's own this.
We are disciple makers. Let's go and make disciples this week. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 